Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. The stories in the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, have so much depth and mystery and there's just an incredible amount of interpretation and and they seem to tell us different things and mean different things to us in each generation, which of course is why we talk about the Torah as being a, uh, a living Torah, Torah Chaim, because these stories resonate so deeply for us in our, in our age. And this week we're reading the story of Noah, Noah in Hebrew, but Noah is, you know, this story that we infantilize in a way, we, the story of the animals in the ark and all of that, but really it's a story of a, a catastrophic uh, flood that destroyed the world and the trauma that happens afterwards. But as the as as human population regenerates itself, there's uh, there's a lot of of really sinister um, stuff that happens and. We're going to look, and I'm actually very delighted to be having a conversation um, from Colorado to Jerusalem with my my friend and teacher, Dr. Michael Kagan, who we've we we actually did a podcast together talking about Pesach, and uh, Michael contacted me and said he had some insights into the, uh, another Im- really important story that's in this parsha, which is the story of Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel, which is such a complex story it actually is only a few verses in the Torah a few short verses that describe this story and it tells us first and this is chapter 11 of of Genesis it tells us first that the the that the 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 whole earth was just just spoke one language so implying a kind of unity perhaps and then it came to pass when they migrated from the east that they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. And then they said to, an, to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them in fire. And the bricks served them as stone and the bitumen served them as mortar. And they said, come, let us build a city and a tower, a migdal, with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed across the whole earth as if that being dispersed across the whole earth is is a bad thing so it's a, it's a confusing story and um and then obviously we we know that uh, god looks at this tower and thinks hmm that is not not so great that is not what i intended so there's a there's a lot in these few verses about what the what the intent and what the actual um what the actual task is of building this tower and what what is happening to this to this people so um, there's many ways that we can delve into that story, but um, I want to turn it over to you. And, and Shalom, it's 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 late at night where you are. It's the middle of the day where I am. Uh, we've been having some technological issues, so hopefully this is going to work. But um, it's great to uh, to hear your voice and see your face. And uh, Shalom. So what do you what do you uh, think? <laughs> yeah, it's great great to be back on the show. I think that's what you say out there. Um, yeah, this story of the Tower of Babel um, is a strange story. Uh, is it an archetypal story? Where did it come from? Um, the, the story of the flood can be found in many ancient traditions across the globe. Um, 
a destruction, a, uh, a, a rebirthing or reseeding of humanity, but a tower, what's it? Is there a Jungian understanding of that? Can, do we want to build towers inside ourselves? It's, it's a strange story. And I, um, I want to tackle it by comparing it to another verse that we read last week. Now, just from the few verses that you read, Mark, what is the directionality? What is the directionality of the story? Um, up. Well, it's before up. There's another direction before up. Direction in terms of east. I mean, they were they were they came from the east. So what, what, they, they came from the east, but the, what I get when I read this is this sense of horizontal journey towards a central point. And so you have this sort of, you know, last week was Sukkot, the ingathering of the exiles. The um, That's one of the prophecies around Sukkot. You have the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You have people coming from far and wide, all coming to a central point. A central point and then going upwards. So there is the ingathering and then the rising up. That's, that's, that's how the directionality works. Now listen to this. In the first chapter of Bereshit, God creates the human. And this is on the sixth day. Payome Elohim Nase Adam Betzalmeinu. And God said, let us make the human in our image. And God created the human in God's image. And in the image of God, God made him. Male and female, he made and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and spread out and fill the earth, Kivshuha, I'll leave that for a minute. What, 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 what could that mean? Um, but this is a blessing, um, or, or perhaps it's a command. Not clear, is it a command to be fruitful and, and multiply and spread around the earth? Or is it, is it a, a, as I say, a command or a blessing? Perhaps something like both, but to be fruitful and multiply, that's a blessing. To spread around the earth, well, why is that a blessing? Now, the directionality in this verse is what? It's going from a central place and spreading out. The exact opposite of what happens in the tower story. Completely different directionality. Why is it so important for us to be told to spread out and fill the whole world? Which, by the way, We've we've done. I mean, that job's over, I think. Uh, but listen to this. From a biological point of view, 
every single species on the planet is trapped within its own eco-niche. What is an eco-niche? It's an area in which the species can survive and multiply to a limited degree. I should say not multiply, but reproduce. A species, it could be a plant, an insect, it could be a mammal, it could be, it could be anything, is trapped within an area on the globe where it can get enough water and not be eaten by a predator. It can get enough food and nourishment to be able to live, to survive, to reproduce, and live in some kind of dynamic harmony with its surroundings. Those surroundings are determined by many factors, primarily climate, availability of nourishment, availability of sunlight, uh, availability of food, food supply. And imagine within this uh, eco-niche, there is a species, it doesn't matter what it is, it could be a little bird, it could be a plant. By definition, that species cannot step outside of its eco-niche. By definition, because if it could and it would survive, then that where it stood would be included in the eco-niche. But as soon as that little mouse or little squirrel or little whatever it is steps outside, it will be eaten faster than it can reproduce. Only within the eco-niche are things balanced, uh, in a dynamic balance, oscillatory balance, and things survive. If, for instance, the nearby river changes course because of some rock falls or something like that, then the water supply in that eco-niche will decrease, and only those species that can adapt fast enough or have a slight advantage will be able to get the water they need to survive and survive. That's true for everything on the planet, except for one single species, humans, homo sapiens. Somehow, we have managed to break out of our original eco-niche, wherever that was, maybe in, in Africa, we're told, and to somehow spread across the planet and occupy almost every single environmental um, geographical place, whether it's on the mountains, in the deserts, by the sea, by the rivers, in the jungles, even Colorado and the Rockies. I mean, there are some places we don't do well in, you know, too high up or under the water. Um, in the Sahara, there's a few people, not many. How did we do this? How did we manage to break out of our original eco-niche without any change in DNA? Every single human on the planet is, has exactly the same DNA with slight changes. Maybe different color skin, different shaped face, different shaped eyes, but essentially we're all the same, one species. And why is that so important to the creator that we're told right at the very beginning, be fruitful and multiply, spread across the world, Vikiv Shuha? Why is this so important? What has it got to do with the verse that comes before it, that we were created, B'Tselom Elohim, in the image of God, in the, whatever that means, it's not clear what it means.
So this is how I understand it. First question is, how did we manage to break out of our eco-niche? And the answer is through technology. And what particular technology? What is the thing that we mastered to enable us to be where we are? What is it that we do the moment Shabbat is out, besides looking at our phones, for those who don't use their phones on Shabbat? We have a, a something called Havdalah. We light a candle. And we hold it up like a, um, a torch, a beacon, fire. For those of you who are old enough to remember the uh, um, Disney film Jungle Book, will remember that great song, right? Thy desire is man's wild Red fire. Red fire. Red fire. Okay, King Louis, the king of the apes, sings to Mowgli. I want to be like you. Hoo -hoo. Hoo -hoo -hoo. Tell me the secret of man's red fire because my, uh, how does it say? He actually says it because my um, evolutionary path is blocked. I cannot go further, says the chimp, the ape. Until I learn the secret of man's red fire, I am stuck. Dead end, evolutionary dead end. We learned how to master fire. And the fire is there in that first verse, practically, of the, of the story of Babel, because they used the fire to make the bricks exactly. to build the tower. Exactly, exactly. Now, before jumping to that, this word kivshuha, kivshuha, which it could mean to conquer, it could mean to um, um, preserve, but the rabbis, very famous rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, um, lived in Germany in 1860s, something like that. He associated the word kivshuha with kivshan, meaning a furnace. Mm -hmm. See, so you're getting the fire in the word kivshan, fire. And what does he say? Fire has the ability to transform. You take raw materials, you put them in the fire, and out comes something else entirely a mobile phone, a refrigerator, an air conditioner, bricks. What You look around, every single thing that we have made, humans have made, has involved fire. Even if it's just the electricity to make something, electricity is made by fire in power stations. Every single thing needs the input of energy, fire. So, the first question is, how did we do it? And it's through fire uh, technology. The second question is, who cares? I mean, like, why is this so important for the Creator to tell us that He wants us to spread out? Well, I would say on that also that after the flood and before before Babel, in chapter nine, that is repeated twice at the beginning right. of chapter nine, and then it says, "God God says to Noah and his sons, like so again he's saying, be fruitful and multiply, but then shirtsu like sherets is like." In, you know, like team the earth like insects and, and multiply it, fill it up, swarm the earth. 
so there is this sense that somehow the creator wants wants humanity to really spread out all over spread its tentacles all over the earth oh, tentacles okay that's negative <laughs> um well, but 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 listen listen to this 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 is this is a way I like to understand it. Why is this so important? Why is it so important? Because every place that humans arrive at and build little communities and villages and towns creates a new culture. Think about it. How many languages are there? How many dialects are there? Um, I used to live in London and I would travel an hour out of London and people already speaking strange. <laughs> you drive two hours out of London, uh, three, four hours, and you, you start, you get Mancunian. I mean, I can't even understand that. Liverpudlian and you get Scottish and Welsh and Irish and, and, and all the dialects and other languages. There, there are thousands of languages. And with language comes different kinds of cooking and different kinds of literature and different kinds of songs and different kinds of music and different types of clothes and different, different, different types of people. In the old days, before we could travel so easily, one village would be 20 miles away from another village. Very rarely would people visit each other. They would occupy their own niche. And there would be a whole culture. And this is what anthropologists research all the time, culture, the evolution of culture. And you're saying that's from reading the Torah, that seems to be the intent of the creator, that that kind of diversity of culture is spread throughout the land. Yes, it maps the diversity of species. In other words, the creator can create infinitely. So can the human being. I don't know infinite, but certainly a lot. In other words, to be godlike is to create, to be a person of creativity, of taking the potential that we have, the almost infinite potential of creating cultures and finding the place on the planet that somehow allows that to happen and the people who live in the mountains have different cultures and the people who live in the deserts and in the valleys by the sea in the jungles the influence of the environment impacts deeply upon our culture and there's thousands and thousands of cultures at least there was and in the same way as species are being destroyed so cultures are being destroyed and what happened in the tower is that people said, hey, let's come together, let's have one language, one culture, one city, one purpose, and let us demonstrate the power of humans through a tower that can reach to the heavens. Maybe like skyscrapers in New York. And this is the exact opposite of what the creator wanted because it's vertical and it's not horizontal and it's, it's not, even though even though the torah describes it as being about reaching heaven there's no there's not really a spiritual intent behind it in fact i was thinking just now about how different it is to the the uh, the ladder in yakov's dream in a few weeks time which is 
deliberately something that links heaven and earth but that's described as having these angels that come up and go down as if it's really like a a bridge between the spiritual and the physical but this was just a pure monument an expression of, of of the ultimate human capacity to to um use all their means to uh extend and build and grow without they really you know that there's that expression you know there's no there there it didn't <laughs> i mean it was just going up and up and up but i mean obviously space is infinite so it's not going to ever reach uh, its peak so it's just a, a constant quest that has no capacity other than its own kind of end it's right no meaning it has no meaning no meaning right it, 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 but i mean just think about it one language one culture one goal and they all carried in their back pockets i mean uh, this is there's a midrash that says this mao's little book <laughs> chairman mao i mean i'm joking here but um in other words that was it they all wore the same clothes and that was their lives from beginning to end was to build this tower whatever the tower means i mean it's a symbolic tower we the word shamayim doesn't only mean uh um heaven it also means the sky mm-hmm. yes i don't know <laughs> it also means shamayim of of water so there's also the the idea that the you know the the idea that hu- humanity has fire but you know it's also this constant connection to asia my shamayim is also asia mayim according to the talmud right so right where fire and water meet but I so, think it sounds. I mean, what's really lot. I mean, because you're talking about about the the diversity of culture, but also within each culture is the importance of the individual. What's really lost in the Tao is any sense of individualism or individuality, I should say. The, I mean, just the idea that, uh, like you're saying, that analogy of, of of Chairman Mao. I mean, if everyone's uniform, and of course, there's that really disturbing uh, midrash that says that you know when a one of the bricks was dropped when they were building this tower they'd all cry and wail but like if a one of the workers fell they wouldn't even take any notice because the in that kind of system that kind of um, you used the word totalitarianism earlier if, if like totalitarianism in that kind of system the individual stops to, stops having any any meaning and it feels frighteningly like we're moving in some of those directions you know when like in corporate America and other 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 you know strong capitalist countries in our world where corporations you know and when a supreme court can rule that a corporation has that has the the power of a person and has that kind of that that capacity that potential and that corporations become more important than the individuals who are within those corporations or the individuals who are being victimized by what those corporations might be doing you know like the oil and gas industry sort of drilling down to to get these you know these reserves of of, of natural gases and and potentially really harming the environment around them there's there's just so many ways in which um i mean that's interesting too because that's drilling down into the earth as opposed to there's still something so it's such an expression of human kind of arrogance that we can just plunder into the earth to take resources out you know and um and i think in in that sometimes the plight of the individual is just is so there's so many especially the the most vulnerable and the most weak in societies just lose any capacity with healthcare too i mean people can't afford to have basic 
healthcare in 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 in, in this country. You know, there's there's just ways in which Bavel just I think has has a lot to to teach us about the danger of building big big buildings that that, that have their own end. <laughs> well, the op- the the other side is also true uh, tr- dangerous. This word kivshuha, as I said, it it can be understood to be uh, furnace fire technology, but you could also make the argument: the more we spread out across the planet, the more the planet is harmed. Yes, the more cities that are built, the more, the more diversification of the human species in in terms of culture is equally dangerous. I mean, this, this, right? It's just the other. It's the sort of the shadow side of both. But what I understand is this: that that we are told to spread out across the world in order to live to the full potential of our godliness. B'Tselem Elokim, as God is an infinite creator, so can we, I don't know, again, I don't know if it's infinite, but certainly a lot, exercise our ability to create culture. But there's a price and there's a danger. And this is where, what people forget, which is that the rest of the Torah, the rest of the Torah, is teaching limits of growth from both angles, not not only the going out, but the coming in and the going out and the coming. What is what is allowed and what is not allowed? Where where how you treat other people, how you respect other people, the compassion and empathy and the rules of boundaries and and all of the Torah after this point is trying to teach limits of growth so that we don't get into the mess that we seem to be going into, which is, as we spread out more and more, we sort of end up with this globalization that is only, which is creating a massive destruction of cultures and species. Um, because right, globalization is, is also like Tower of Babel, really. Yes, I mean, for you, sure. When you go anywhere in the world and see the same... The same Coca-Cola, <laughs> yeah, Coca-Cola, but also you know, I mean, yeah, to say the same chain stores, the same kind of home base, Home Depot, and all of those massive corporations, and it, it, that is uh, across the, the the globe. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think I think I really do think that, that massive corporations are very very parallel to to Bavel. and also what you were saying about. You know, I mean, really, in a way, you're talking about biodiversity too. And we know from an agricultural point of view too. If you've got this agribusiness that is just growing one crop and bleeds out of the soil, yep. damaging the land in such a profound way, whereas we know that agriculture does best when there's a biodiversity, when there's a permaculture system where different plants can coexist with each other, and that's that's the kind of the the, the systems of ecology that we that we want to foster, but you know, I mean, you know, you drive through parts of this country, and there's just like miles and miles and miles of fields that are just growing potatoes, or just, and it's it's also similar to to that idea of, of no no diversity in the culture. I think you said something before, Mark, that that um, resonates very deeply into this story, which is the word arrogance. I think actually the story um, is about arrogance, and. Um, the arrogance to think that we can conquer all, that that that, that, we, that there can be a unification of a of 
of the humans with one goal, that the individual doesn't count, that the earth doesn't count, um, that we can set up edifices to show how great we are while um, the individual gets lost. Um, I think that's a very powerful message for today. Um, very powerful uh, message today. And it's also like you can understand how, I mean, when you said before about the task that we're given, being created in the image of the divine, to be creative, to create, to create, to create. And you can understand, I mean, it's a sort of a perversion of that, because in a way it's like, wow, look at the potential. <laughs> we can build Las Vegas in the middle of a desert. We can make this massive city in the middle of a desert. We can do anything. Where there's no limit to what we to what we can do. And so, in a sense, you can see how some some people obviously celebrate that as being the ultimate gift of being created in the divine image, that we have infinite capacity to create. But I think what you're saying and what I'm agreeing with is is that that being really in the image of the divine and being having that capacity for creation and creativity is about creating in a way that is um i don't know what word you would sustainable 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 but also has a has a, a spiritual dimension to it that has a it's about connection rather than rather than uh conquest. separation yes separation. very good i mean think about it this that the that immediately after this verse in in genesis about the blessing um, the creation of the human, the blessing, and God seeing the world and seeing it was all good. What happened next? Shabbat. In other words, to be in the image of God is not only to create and using our full potential to create, but it's also to stop. Mm-hmm. So to be in the image of God is to create and also to stop. And to be able to stop is perhaps more difficult than it is to create. Um, I, I, I ask this question many times um, uh, when, when, when I teach this, which is, what was the most difficult thing for God to create in all of the creation? Like, what was the most difficult thing that he, he really had to struggle with? Right? So um, was it light, the very first thing? Wow, light's difficult to create. No, I don't think so. Not not for not for uh, the infinite Creator. And was it the human being? Was it the mosquito? Was it? Uh, doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem that God sweated too much. I think the most difficult thing was to stop creating. Look how difficult it is for for anyone who keeps Shabbat just to stop. Yeah. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute! <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I've, I, I'm going to lose money. On, on, on Shabbat, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. I mean, I can't afford to stop working. I can't afford to close the business. Uh, what am I going to do all day if I don't uh, watch television, if I don't this, if I don't that? I mean, like, it's so difficult. And yet the big message that comes through last week's Parsha and all the Parshiot is this thing called limits of growth. And that requires us to learn how to Shabbos. Not only, not only on the seventh day, but continuously how to Shabbos, which is how to create, how to stop creating, how to create not creating. There's that wonderful idea that the universe just had this, it was, was just constantly in a cycle of expansion. And, and you know, I think this is in um, in the Talmud, in Chagigo, and then at a certain point where God just says, die. You know, enough, it has to stop, it can't just go on infinitely expanding uh, and then 
the the, the midrash is that you know the one of God's names El Shaddai, uh, even though it's often thought of being a god with breasts, perhaps a, a feminine god because Shaddai is breast, but El Shaddai, El shall die the god of saying die saying enough enough that that capacity to to stop and i don't i'm you know, you're a scientist i'm not a scientist but i know that the whole idea of expansion and contraction in in in, in the in the scientific world is 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 connected to all of this too the create infinite creation and and and, and stopping well, one of the things that i like to explore is is this, and this is a question I, I, I put to you and I put to everybody who's listening to this. It seems that we as a species, as we spread across the planet, creating small communities, cultures were born and we have diversity of cultures. My question that always puzzles me is what about the individual's capacity to create? Are there limits? Oh, as an individual, as you, there's something different between being creative and having talent. That's uh, a question of quality. But if you wanted to do something else in your life, or to paint, or to, to I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, there's so many things. Um, are there limits? Doesn't mean you'll be the best, but are there limits? And, I like to explore that um, in my own life. What, what are the limits to my own creativity? And, and do we limit ourselves by our fear of being laughed at or not being good enough? Or, because I really believe this, that B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God is to utilize as fully as possible the gift of creativity. And <laughs> knowing that the, the perils are when we just think there are no limits. Because that, <laughs> yes. that, is, that is the story of God. Well, I'm thinking we should probably wrap this up. So I'm wondering then how we turn this into, a, you know, perhaps a message of bracha, a blessing that comes out of this. Because, I mean, there's there's some of this is really hard when we look at, at this story and we and we we see it playing out in our world right now. It can be hard to feel um, positive about the direction that we're moving as a civilization, but. Um, but there's also some beautiful things that you said about about human potential and creativity. So, how should we? What message should we leave anybody who's listening? To this? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure this is a blessing, but but one thing that we can see in in from from a scientific point of view is that everything works in oscillations. Even the whole universe, as you said, the midrash expands, and we know. These the equations seem to show that it will then contract and then expand again, just like our hearts. Our hearts expand and contract. Our lungs expand and contract. Um, everything in our bodies, every cell, works in oscillatory um, modes of expansion and contraction or ups and downs. Um, and even this story, there was the spreading out and there was the coming together into the tower and then there's the spreading out again. And... Next week's Parsha starts off with the journey of Avraham. Leave this place, go to another place. There's a journey. And we end up, as I said, with Sukkot, where we come on Aliyah, the Regel, pilgrimage to, to the one spot. We worship. We don't build towers. We worship. And then we spread out again. So it seems that 
that this is an inevitable process of of um, contraction expansion, contraction expansion. Even the angels in the in the vision of uh, Ezekiel, he saw them running forth and back, shovel v'ratzu, ratzu v'shov, ratzu v'shov, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. And between each expansion and each contraction, there is a pause, a moment, a Shabbos moment. Otherwise, you couldn't make the transition between breathing in and breathing out. So I'm not sure I'm looking for a blessing, but what I'm looking for is um, people to explore their own creativity mm-hmm. and their own Shabbos moments, and that they will play off each other. Shabbat moments, whether it's a day, an hour, a moment, will increase creative potential. And creative potential will lead into deeper and deeper Shabbat moments. And that's the cycle that we should be looking at. What will happen to our species and the planet? (laughs) I think we all need to keep Shabbos. And we also need to respect the individual who's in front of us whoever they may be you know and recognize that how important it is that being created in god's image also means there are many 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 ways to express um the divine in this world and that uh, there's there's not like at our absolute uh, peril we we try to make everybody practice in the way we practice and believe what we believe and think like we think and dress like we dress and all. so there's a lot of a lot of challenges and, and potentials to to look at uh, how the human story continues through the through the lens of torah story that just keeps being being told and retold and we're on the journey too because we 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 are the descendants of noah we are the descendants of adam and eve and so we we continue to un- unfold and evolve and and grow, and um, yeah. So thank you. Very thank you. Conversation. I think it's time for you to go to sleep. Yes. And uh, <laughs> love to love to Yerushalayim and and uh, everyone there. I wish you and everybody who's li- listening a, a Shabbat Shalom. Um, in this parshat Noach, um, which means to rest. Um, to be comfortable and to move out of your comfort um, when that's necessary. Take care, my friend. I'll see you soon. Mark, thank you very much. Shabbat shalom. Bye. Shabbat shalom. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Adash and Drush. We will see you next time.